Welcome to the SCBWI Podcast Conversations, a series of long-form interviews with some of the most interesting and influential people working in children's books. My name is Theo Baker, your oftentimes host, and on today's episode, I talked with the editorial director at Simon & Schuster's Books for Young Readers and writing coach and author, the fascinating Kendra Livin. I recorded this interview in February of 2020, and Kendra and I took a deep inner dive into the writer's journey. Please enjoy. Could you just tell me a little bit about where you come from? Sure. And you can answer that however you want. So where I come from, I mean, what I always think of, the first thing I always think of if someone asks me that is Southern California. That's where I was born. I haven't lived there in a very long time. My family left there when I was nine years old. Um, but it still very much feels like kind of my country of origin. I feel like California is its own country. Um, and whenever I go back there, I always feel like I'm home, even mm. though I haven't lived there in many, many years. And when did you get out? Um, my, so my family moved to the East Coast uh, when I was nine. Um, my parents are both from the East Coast. Mm. And so it was really a homecoming for them and a home leaving for me. Oh, yeah. Do you still have like a little party that's like, I'm from Southern California? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have, I have lived in New York now for longer than I've ever lived anywhere. I've been here almost 20 years. Mm. And um, so in many ways, I am a New Yorker. Mm. Um, I'm, everybody's always in my way. Mm. I'm always in a hurry to get places. I am very impatient when someone's making a sandwich for me very slowly. You know, all the kind of <laughs> things that make you a New Yorker. Um, and, uh, but there's definitely a part of me that's like, um, that's not me, mm. you know, that's sort of like who I've become, but I don't know if that's me. Oh, you have like imposter. Yeah. You're just like, there's a part of me that's very casual and laid back. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And you're watching yourself at all points like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like which is the real Kendra kind of, you know, and I think we all have kind of like, um, those bifurcations in our personalities and those. Um, parts of us that feel sort of fractured, so, you know, for lots of different reasons. Well, you're someone who's thought about things like this a lot. Do you think we ever feel whole at any point? Does, is there is there ever an end? I'll get a moment to go back, but I, that's just a question that I was thinking. Do you think we ever get to wholeness? I don't know if I can speak for all of us, <laughs> you know? Um, I think that, and I think wholeness means a different thing to everyone. So not to sort of... Um, dodge the question, which I don't really don't want to. I think it's a great question. Um, but I, I don't know how I could answer that for anyone other than myself. And mm. even for myself, like, will, do I ever get to wholeness? Like, gosh, I have no idea. I don't even know if I know what it looks like. I don't know if I'd recognize it when I saw it, you know? Like, I think sometimes we look back at times in our lives and see a wholeness that we didn't see at that time. Right, that kind of golden age, like, if I could have only get back to there. Right. And but when you were there, it was like, this is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe the whole concept of wholeness is a construct and is something that we overlay with memory, mm. you know, along with nostalgia, along with like all the other things that we overlay with memory. And I think a lot about, because one of the things you, about acting without worrying about what we're doing at the same time, mm -hmm. right? You say ordering something and thinking to yourself, who am I that's, or who am I? Who, who's this person who's being um, impatient for the sandwich guy? Right, right, right. <laughs> You know, is there ever, do we ever get to that point where we're just 
totally in the moment. Yeah. yeah, well, and something that I've been doing a little bit more, and, you know, maybe this will sound really cheesy, but I don't care, is um, when I'm, like, rushy, rushy, rushing around the city, and I'm always running a few minutes late because I always tried to do a little bit more than I had time for. So it's my own damn fault that I'm late. And somebody's walking a little too slowly in front of me down the subway stairs or on the sidewalk or whatever. And I start to feel that like bubbling up of that impatience. I try to remember to tell myself, hey, we're, we're all vessels of consciousness. Like every single person is, you know, like a part of the same thing. So you really don't need to feel that impatience at all. Mm. So could you tell me a little bit about how you got into books and your journey towards um, becoming such a, a maven in the book world? <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, yes, you are. <laughs> thanks. Um, I grew up in a house that was a very book-oriented house. My father was an English professor. Um, and my, what kind? Um, his specialty was um, Elizabethan literature. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I grew up with like a lot of Shakespeare. Um, and, um, and my mom was an elementary school teacher, so, um, was like very knowledgeable about children's books. So I was really fortunate that I had parents that really like shared their love of reading with me very early. They read to me a ton. I'm also an only child, so mm. like very indulged, mm. <laughs> um, with lots of reading time. So that was always a big part of my life. I loved to read when I was a kid. I was always like, you know, I did that, um, book it program mm. where you like get a free personal pan pizza from pizza hut if you read a lot of books and i was like always doing that and you know so pizza and books became yeah totally entwined. interconnected <laughs> that's how i ended up in new york yeah. <laughs> um but i wasn't necessarily thinking of publishing as a, a direction that i wanted to go in professionally i was i really wanted to be a writer mm. um and I was pursuing that really seriously as a teenager and in college. And, and what brought me to New York actually was um, writing because I came here to go to NYU to the um, dramatic writing program at Tisch. Oh, okay. So I was studying playwriting and screenwriting. Oh, right. Um, and, and that was kind of what I was focusing on. And, and I went, you know, decently down the road with it. I had a, when I was senior in college, a uh, play that I wrote was produced off Broadway. And so I was... That's huge. I was doing, doing that thing. Um, but I struggled a lot as a writer, too, and um, especially just with, like, internal pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, at the same time that all that was going on, I sort of, like, randomly got an internship. Um, I, I had a really, really fortunate and, like, privileged situation was that um, an editor, a children's book editor, who, like, I never had heard of mm. David Levithan. Yeah, he's kind of a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, he reached out to me when I was like, a, I don't think I was a freshman in college or sophomore. I, I like had just gotten to New York. So I must have been a sophomore because I transferred uh, from another school. Mm. And um, and he, he contacted me because I had had a short story that had won a Scholastic Writing Award some like the year before, like when I was a senior in high school. Um, and he was putting together an anthology of like fiction and poetry and stuff from, from the awards. So he was asking my permission to include my story. And I guess I may think I mentioned that I had just moved to New York or somewhere in the exchange, he was like, oh, well, you should come and interview for an internship, mm. um, at Scholastic. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, why not? Like, that sounds cool. Um, so I, I did, and he hired me to be an intern there, um, working for Joy Peskin, who was there at the time. She's now at FSG. Um, and she, from, like, day one, was the most incredible mentor mm. and just taught me so much and really kind of introduced me to the world of children's books and publishing and just, like, I mean, I was so, so, so lucky to have her as an entry point. And I mean, she's still one of my dearest friends. Mm. And um, so that's when I kind of discovered like books as a career. Mm. Like, oh, this is actually something that I could do professionally. Well, you mentioned the way you kind of tell it, you're like, well, this was a lucky thing. But actually, you were setting your own, you were planting the seeds yourself by writing a short story and then sending it out, which, and then like that, that's a huge step. And then having it, acknowledged and most people you know and there's a that's a huge sequence of events yeah most people stop around one or two well i i i emphasize the fortunate aspect of it less to downplay my own kind of role in it and more just to really acknowledge that the opportunity to put your uh work out there in that way when you're a teenager is a real privilege i mean i had teachers who helped me i had the funds, you know, mm -hmm. you have to like pay money to to apply to those things. From what I recall, I don't know, it was a long time ago. But, Twenty-five bucks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a lot in some for some people, but it's it is a lot for some people. Yeah. So, um, so I just I don't know, especially in this time in publishing when I think there's so much um, push to uh, change the barriers to entry. Mm. Um, it's just important to me to acknowledge that because I think there are a lot of people in publishing who are um, who kind of like lucked into it in some way. Not that those people are not smart and talented and, and deserving of uh, all the accolades that they've gotten, but just that there is an aspect to of luck to it. Right. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. And that that there were, like you said, that there were people around you who kind of said, this is something one can do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think so many people don't even out, know it's a, it's a, yeah, that that's available to you. You can write something and send it out. Maybe someone will read it. Like that's, yeah, know, that's yeah. very, that's shocking to some people, you know, I suppose. And so tell me about, um, so in that move to, were, were you at Viking originally? Did that move into Viking when you were there? Or? So I, I interned at Scholastic all through college. So mm -hmm. for like three years. Yeah. And um, I got to work on Magic School Bus. I got to work on some really oh, they gave awesome, you good stuff. Awesome stuff. Um, and I got to work with Joy for a long time until she left to go to Viking. Mm. Um, and then I worked with Kristen Earhart, who was is also just like a, a gem. She's a wonderful person. And so I got to meet some incredible people and um, really kind of get to know this. And that was a uh, trade paperback. Mm -hmm. group. So I really got to know kind of the paperback business a little bit. Then after I graduated from college and had a few weird jobs, uh, I got a job in Scholastic Book Clubs and I was an assistant in the book clubs. And that was my first full-time publishing job. Mm -hmm. And it certainly wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an editorial, but I learned a ton. I mean, it was sort of marketing-y. Mm -hmm. It gave me exposure to all the different houses and what books they were doing and the way they were positioning them because they would all come in and like present them to us. Yeah. Um, so I learned a ton. And, and I mean, and I also learned like how hard assistants get overworked, how 
short-staffed everybody is, you know, mm -hmm. some of the sort of intrinsic problems of publishing I, right. I learned right away. Yeah. Um, but I, as I said, I really wanted to do editorial. And so when, uh, and this, this really was luck, a position opened up at Viking for an editorial assistant. And I mean, it was like my dream to go work for Joy again. And it was to be her assistant along with two other editors. Mm -hmm. So I just did everything I could to get that job. And I was very, very happy to get that. Mm -hmm. And that's what brought me to Viking and to Penguin. Oh, that's great. Just tell me about like how you grew into the job as, as editor there and maybe some of the things that Joy taught you or anything that sticks out yeah. about those, about, cause I know, you know, my wife was like an, an art assistant and she moved up and there, it's an exciting time to sort of sit. Cause at first you're like, Oh, there's books mm. here. Like I can almost touch the books. Yeah. <laughs> and then somebody lets you touch the book. Totally. It's so exciting. Totally. And then it just keeps moving up and, then at a certain point you're managing people, but <laughs> yeah, but like, could you tell me about like just getting to the books? Definitely. And, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great position to start out at it, to start out in, um, because I was assisting Joy, who I already knew. I was assisting, um, Catherine Frank, uh, who edited all different kinds of books. Um, and I was also assisting Tracy Gates, who, um, is really like best known for picture books. Um, but she also was doing all kinds of books. So they were three very different personalities. They were three very different lists, um, mm -hmm. but they were, you know, they were all part of Viking. And so I, I got to learn so much from all three of them. And um, it also was sort of, I don't know, in some ways it was another time in publishing or maybe just we were particularly um, protected in mm -hmm. Viking by Regina Hayes, who was the publisher. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't overworked in that assistant job. Um, I really had the time to consider the submissions that all three of them got to um, kind of shadow them on a lot of their work. I don't know. I, I had the time to really learn and, and be an apprentice. And I didn't feel like I, like I wasn't staying super late. I wasn't overwhelmed. And I don't know if that even exists anymore. And I don't know if that was common even at the time. Mm. But it was this sort of wonderful bubble that I was in that really allowed me to be a student of publishing and to kind of take it all in. Um, and then the other thing I would say about that is that Regina, so Regina Hayes was the publisher of Viking for, um, gosh, like 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> she started in that role the year that I was born. <laughs> um, and uh, she's just a real... Um, like icon in children's books. Yeah. I mean, she edited Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. She's, she's, um, she's incredible. And um, so I got to learn a lot from her as well. And her approach uh, when she was the publisher was very much like she would hold you off and hold you off and hold you off and hold you off until she was really sure that you were ready to edit. And then all of a sudden she would totally let go. So the first book that I edited she made me do every single round of edits with her. Like I had to show her every single round of edits and she would make comments. She was extremely hands-on. Mm. Um, and I didn't feel like I was being micromanaged because I really, I had never done it before. Right. I really didn't know what I was doing. So I felt very held. Mm -hmm. um, Cause and you're kind of out on a limb there. You're like, yeah. I'm telling this writer something 
that might screw up their head and forever. They, <laughs> and they are trusting me as an authority and they don't know that behind the curtain I'm so inexperienced and, you know, just finding my footing in this. <laughs> so, um, so she worked really closely with me on that first book. And um, was that a novel or like a picture book? Or it was something? a middle grade novel. Okay. It was called The Great Wide Sea. So you could dig your teeth into it a bit. Yeah, yeah. It was quite long. And, and a lot of what she was pushing me to do was make it shorter. Right. Which was very hard for me to do because I loved the writing so much. And but you had room. It's not like a picture book, like an edit. One edit could like, it just falls apart, right? Yeah, like yeah. A, well. Well, yeah, but like there's room to sort of carve, carve out it for you. If that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So we, we spend a lot of time on it. Um, and, um, and it went on to do very well, actually, that book. Um, it was that books, uh, what did they call it back then? They used to call it BFYA. Now it's called something else. I don't know. It was like an ALA top 10. Oh, okay. Um, and it got all kinds of nice praise and stuff. Um, anyway, so like we went through that whole process. And then I think maybe on one more book. And then after that, she was like, I can't, I'm miming it. But she's like, all right, let go of her hands. You know, it was like the training wheels were off and the bike was rolling. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I felt really trusted. You know, I felt like, okay, I have more of a sense of my own authority because if somebody who's really been looking very closely deems that I'm, like ready to be independent, mm -hmm. then I must really be ready. Did that transfer that sense of, I don't know, um, trust and did that transfer to the writers you were working with too? If, if that makes sense. You should have to ask them. <laughs> but, I hope so. Because I want to get into the, your books too. The one, the book that you've written, You're oh. Your Own Hero. And I'd love, I, that's really interesting to me, that, that tract of your career. Oh, cool. And I'd love to get into that as well. So maybe could you tell me about like just uh, how your editing career kind of also to that track of your life because uh, Kendra's also the the author and a certified life coach of You Are Your Own Hero. And it's actually called The Hero Is You. <laughs> so you might want to do that one over. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I'm, I apologize. That's okay. Could you could you kind of tell us tell us about how you? And I, I'm just curious to hear how those two threads of your career kind of uh, emerged or came together, or or just can you just walk us up through there? Yeah, sure. Um, so I became a life coach actually pretty early in my publishing career. Now that I look back on it, mm -hmm. um, I had been working at Viking for like two years, like really not that long. Mm. And I was, an, I think I was an assistant editor. And so I was still assisting three editors and I liked my work just fine. I mean, it was really interesting, but I had a little bit of a feeling of like, is this all there is to life? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what I was doing was check requests and contract paperwork. And, you know, I wasn't really editing books yet. Um, and so I didn't have a, a deep fulfillment in my work. Mm -hmm. And I had always sort of thought I might become a therapist. Mm. Um, and so I was sort of thinking about that. And then I happened to go through a period of time where just a number of my close friends had a lot of major stuff going on. You know, an unexpected pregnancy here, a bad breakup there. 
Um, and I just noticed that I observed myself getting way too involved. Mm -hmm. Like somebody would call me with a crisis and I'd be like excited. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, I'll be right there. I'll drop everything. And just sort of noticing that about, about myself, I was like, this doesn't seem super healthy. Mm. And I wonder if there's a better way to channel this <laughs> impulse, you know? Well, you felt like, you're like, I'm good at this. You got well, this internal sense. But I, but I think, I mean, maybe, but I think even more what I sensed was like, I like this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be feeling happy that a friend of mine was having a problem. <laughs> you know, that didn't seem very good. Um, and I wasn't happy, of course, but but I was like excited to get in there and help them with it. Be useful. Yeah, yeah. It feels good when somebody asks you to do something that you're good at all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like to be useful. <laughs> um, that's a good word for it. So, and then around the same time, I was at a party. I met this woman. We were just chatting and she was like, oh, what do you do? I was like, oh, I've been publishing. What about you? She was like, oh, I empower women. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that's so cool. <laughs> I want to hear more about that. And she was a life coach and it, it was something I really hadn't heard of before. So she kind of told me all about it and I ended up getting to know her a little better after that. And so it kind of came onto my radar that there was a way to be something similar to a therapist. Of course, it's not, you know, it's a much uh, lesser credential, mm. um, but a way to do that type of work that wouldn't involve going to grad school, mm. um, which I wasn't very keen to do. I didn't want to incur a whole bunch of loans and completely drop out of my job and, you know, just all the things that that would entail. Um, and I've, I've just never really been a big school person. Yeah. So um, I did a certificate program to become a life coach uh, on like nights and weekends. And it was a year and it was like, I had more personal growth in that year than I had had in the previous five. I mean, it was so, you just have to dig everything up when oh, you're they doing could, that kind of training. You have to coach yourself first. Oh yeah, you have to coach yourself, <laughs> you have to coach everybody else in the room, they have to coach you. Like it's really, it's like a lot of inner, anything that you possibly got lying around in your psyche that could be coachable, you have to dish oh, it up. Oh, so. <laughs> Were you ready for that? Yeah, I was you, really ready for it. Yeah, I was... Um, had some garbage bags laying around yeah. inside. <laughs> I was ready to, to Marie Kondo my insides. Um, <laughs> and um, and yeah, so it was like really amazing sort of just personal growth experience. And then at the end, I had this coaching credential. And, um, and one of the kind of... Uh, one of the goals sort of of the program that I took is that they they want you by the end of the program to have identified what your niche is because to just say like oh I'm a general life coach it's like you're not going to attract any clients that way you have to really have a niche and I fought it and I fought it and I fought it but at the <laughs> end of course it was to work with writers I mean of course um, oh you started somewhere else <laughs> oh yeah I really wanted to do something different just to challenge myself and use a different part I'm going to work brain. only with surfers right 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 <laughs> Surf the big wave. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> it's right here. Right, right. Um, yeah, it just, it was right in front of my face and it just made sense. So, um, so I sort of thought I might like make that my full-time job, hang out a shingle. And all this happened. I mean, I've got my credential in 2008. Okay. So within a few months, the economy just, you know, went that to hell. And, and 
I was lucky to have a job yeah. and I got promoted to associate editor and that's when I started actually getting to acquire mm. and and that's sort of when I discovered oh this is quite a wonderful job mm. and it's something I'm not ready to give up but also and also I love coaching and I want that to be part of my life too so I started it as just like a, my side hustle mm. and and that's what it is to this day mm. um, I still fit it in a, a little bit uh, so that's all just a long story about how I became a life coach yeah. and I was doing that for many years before I decided to write a book um, but what sort of led me to write The Hero Is You um, and not You Are The Hero and not You Are The Hero <laughs> which is way worse <laughs> than, your, than your version <laughs> um, I had thought for a long time that it would be nice to write a book about writing mm. Um, I've been really moved and inspired by some of my favorite books about writing, like Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Right. That's kind of my all-time favorite. Um, and you read uh, Steering the Craft, Ursula Le Guin? No, I should. Do you know her? Yeah, right? yeah. It's one of my favorites. I should read that. It's, it's sort of, I don't know, I think it reminds me. kind of. Anyway, go ahead. I'm... Hmm. Um, this isn't this isn't about me. Sorry. To... <laughs> no, I'm always looking for recommendations for good craft books because oh, people it. ask me for recommendations for them, and I'm like, all mine are from like when I was in high school, so they're old and they're pretty white, and a lot of them by men. And like, I'd yeah. love to have a, a more interesting and diverse like list of books to recommend. Um, so, so yeah, so I thought for a long time about maybe doing a book about writing, but I didn't really know what it would be about. And then um, a friend of mine was teaching a class on the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And she and I got into this like big conversation about it. And it, I sort of saw, I mean, I was aware of the hero's journey as like a um, storytelling tool mm -hmm. before that. But I hadn't ever really thought of it before as a, kind of a metaphor for the writing process mm. and that when you are a writer or any kind of creative artist you are kind of going on this hero's journey of your process and um, that a lot of aspects of the hero's journey sort of the more I thought about it really parallel the different kind of emotional experiences that you go through in the process of creating a, a work of art and then I just got really obsessed with that and I'm not inclined toward obsession so the fact that this had like captured me so mm. much, um, it was the summer and I would wake up at really early. I don't remember what time. I would wake up really early, which I'm not also inclined toward <laughs> and be reading and making notes and thinking about this before work. You know, that's not so you were on, way. You so you were on the path. Something, yeah. there was some. There was something there. Yeah. There was a reality you were touching and you're like, I gotta, yeah. gotta keep with this. Yeah. And so I, I kind of, Kept following that wherever it took me. I wrote a full draft. Then I took a pause and I got a few notes from a friend. And then I like completely re. I think I completely rewrote the whole thing maybe three or four times. I spent five years working on it um, before I ever kind of faced the notion of doing anything public with it. Mm. Um, I really wasn't sure if I was going to, but ultimately I thought, well, let me give it a try. Um, and then, um, then I was fortunate enough to get the agent that I most wanted to work with, 
um, which was wonderful. Uh, and then um, she gave me a ton of notes and I spent another year crafting like a new proposal that was properly an adult nonfiction book proposal, which is something I knew nothing about. Mm. Um, and anyway, and then we sold it and then it became a book. That year is, that's a hard year, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> when they're like, work on the proposal. Really, any year that you spend writing a book while you have a full-time job is, is a pretty hard year. I, I really gave me so much more respect, although I had plenty, um, for writers, particularly those who do have full-time jobs mm. and just how hard it is to juggle everything. But a lot of the people that I coach, that's the situation that they're in, and that's part of what we work on, is how to, how to fit writing into a busy life. Yeah. We've been getting deep with Kendra Livin. There's plenty more coming up after the break, but if you haven't already and want to learn more about Kendra's writing, coaching, and books, please head over to KendraCoaching.com and follow her on Twitter at Kendra Livin. Okay, back to my talk with Kendra. Part two begins now. And I love what you talk about writer, writing as the hero's quest. It's something I've been thinking a lot about is it's... Like what any quest is, is go out and get mm. and then come back. Mm. And these are biological almost processes. Mm. What the original quest is go out and get food, mm. come back, you know, go hunt, go get, go gather. Right. And there's a sequence of events naturally built into like these biological kind of necessities. Yeah. And that the writing kind of starts to mirror that i'm sure that you felt the same thing like there's a momentum that takes over like i got it i'm almost there i got mm. i'm lost i'm lost now how do i get back oh here's something and i'm just very interested in like the the biological part of it yeah like it it's because a good story sort of mirrors like a biological quest almost mm. it's not even like for me like we talk about like archetypes or something i think it's even further closer to the ground than that sometimes yeah yeah well so of course the work of joseph campbell was a big inspiration for me and i read tons of his stuff yeah. to research this um and i also wanted to really make sure that i wasn't um falling into a a um a little bit of a i don't know what to call it but i i wanted to make sure that i wasn't allowing any defaults in mm -hmm. in what I was doing and so I also I read a book called um, the heroine's journey um, oh, right. that talks about sort of the aspects of the hero's journey that are very gendered toward like male stuff and what sort of a female quote-unquote version of that looks like and this book was from like the 80s so it's yeah. a very um, dated perspective on gender mm. as, as is Campbell's work. Sure. Um, none of it is really up to speed with where we're at. Cause that's all hunting today. parties and, you know, men well, going out. And, and it's, it's just a lot of, um, looking at gender, gender in a very binary way. Yeah. Um, and, and not just binary, but very kind of exclusive, yeah. like this is exclusively the realm of the male. This is exclusively the realm of the female. When of course it's really just more of a spectrum that we're all, floating around on and moving around on yeah um so i mean that's something i tried to bring into the book is to to update it a little bit when it comes to gender yeah um but i do think that even within that there is a universality to the impulse 
that you're talking about, the impulse to step out of your familiar world mm -hmm. and forge a path where there isn't one before. Um, and and um, I think that's why all these myths, you know, the, the myths that Campbell wrote about are myths and legends from cultures all over the world and from different periods in time and um, many different groups. And they all have these certain aspects in common. And I think that's just something that really, it's like a drumbeat that really beats with the heartbeat, you know? Yeah. So how do you get people to open the door? Like if they're not doing it within just your, as an editor, as a, as a coach, you know, what is the, what's, what are, I guess, what are universally or generally, what are, what are the things that you see that are preventing people from going out and getting the thing that they need to get or returning, mm. <laughs> returning safely with it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that everybody is impacted by fear mm. and the thing about fear is that it's complicated and it has some benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're sort of talking about like evolutionarily, um, fear was incredibly valuable. Like run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lion. You needed it or you would die. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, I'm a big sort of nerd for evolutionary psychology. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it can oversimplify, but it's great fun. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the fear responses that we all have, but particularly creative people, um, stem from an evolutionary source. So um, I think often fears around writing tie back to fear of, of like being shamed by the others, mm. by the other people. And that ties back to a fear of being excised from the group you know mm -hmm. being ostracized and then you would die yeah in in the you know olden days um and sometimes now so uh so i think that as much as it's sort of easy particularly for someone who doesn't really understand the creative life mm -hmm. to brush away like oh what are you afraid of like just do it like just sit down and write the words like mm -hmm. just type the words um those fears are founded and so it's not about dismissing them. Yeah. It's about like, how do we learn to live with them and how do we learn to make them work for us? Absolutely. Because you look outside and you see a squirrel and the squirrel's whole program is there's a dog that comes fear, run up the tree. Right. And we still have that little squirrel yeah, <laughs> in us. Absolutely. That's uh, dictating so much of what we do. Absolutely. And I love what you're saying that because I can think to myself, fear really isn't valid for me as a person anymore mm. in 2020. Like, boy, I think it's really valid in 2020. <laughs> well, it's okay. We said we wouldn't get into political stuff, <laughs> but I will say that. <laughs> Politics aside. All right. My, my personal extermination is not like, not in jeopardy most days. Mm. Like if I'm walking down the street or God forbid, putting a fresh piece of paper into a typewriter. Well, like, I mean, and that I would, I would just point out like is quite a privilege. And even in 2020, there are many people for whom that's not the case. Yeah. No, I, what I'm saying is like, for me, yeah. as a, yeah, as, yeah, a yeah. as a, as a well uh, situated person in this world, mm -hmm. like I can think to myself, there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. And that sort of minimizes this 
inborn thing that we all share, which is fear all the time. Um, and I love what you're saying that instead of saying, well, just don't ignore the fear. It's not real. Say, okay, it's there. But what do you, how do you deal with it? Yeah. How do you live with it? Yeah. And that's so much of, of, of functioning in life is not trying to dismiss the things that seem to stand in our way, mm. but how do we learn to live with them and, and kind of uh, negotiate with them? Yeah, no, it's like the Buddhist thing. Like when you meditate, you get the demons on the side. Do you pay attention to the demons? You don't follow them, right. but they're there. Right. You say, okay, there's the demon. Right. But you're not going to come in. Right. <laughs> but you're still there. Right, right. Totally, <laughs> totally. Is there anything that you'd like to say? Um, do you still, now you're pretty, pretty, pretty top, uh, top, top of the food chain are you still working with new new writers and new new people like uh, first-time people yes, yes. yeah I'm, I'm always happy to find a wonderful debut author um that i can work with and i love editing i mean i i do have a different balance of my time now mm. that i'm managing a bigger team um and i'm lucky that i love managing i mm. mean it's really one of my very favorite parts of my job mm-hmm. um but I, I couldn't stop editing. I mean, A, they wouldn't let me, but B, I don't want to. Um, I love working with authors and um, and yeah, I'm always happy to find a new voice. I mean, that's so exciting. What editor isn't excited about that? Is there anything that you would say to the people who are close to finding that new voice that, they, that they're developing that, to help them push them over the edge so that someone like you will look at it and say, oh, this is a new voice that I'm excited about? Or, I know that's a, mm-hmm. that's a hard general question. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to answer generally. I mean, I always try to sort of be inspirational or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like my brand. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, I think, um, well, you know, I'm doing a workshop this weekend. Um, on the story that only you can tell. Mm. That's what it's called. And it's about digging into your life, your own history, your family history, you know, to find um, what is the story that really you are the best qualified person to tell. And so I guess what I would say to people is um, to really be thinking about what it, for you, what for you is the story that only you can tell. Um, I think that's sort of, all tied up with voice and with um, putting your best foot forward so that an editor might see what's the most kind of wonderful and exciting and new thing that you have to offer the world of books. That's wonderful. It's been (laughs) such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for coming. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's all we have time for today on Conversations. On behalf of all of us at SCBWI, I'd like to thank Kendra for making the time to talk with us and apologize it took so long to get her on the air. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe to our totally free show. New episodes just like this one every week. And if you're interested in learning more about the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, please head over to scbwi.org. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. That's all. See you next week.